Good morning, Sonship, and welcome to a very special Course in Miracles uh, conference text call because today is, uh, actually tomorrow, is Lucky's birthday. So we'll do something a little special. We're going to dedicate the call to him because we know that he works at night and he's sleeping right now. So now he'll have to listen to the call. So in this holy instant, I'm going to turn the call over to his beloved partner, Sharon, who's going to do our prayer. Sharon? Thank you. And his birthday is today. Oh, even better. (laughs) Yeah. Here we go. Dear Brother Jesus, in today's reading, we learn how correction is made. You refer to our relationships with each other, how we respond to each other when we feel another has made an error. You refer to magic thoughts. You say, quote, God's teacher's major lesson is to learn how to react to magic thoughts wholly without anger, unquote. In yesterday's reading, you tell us, quote, magic thoughts need not lead to condemnation, for they do not really have the power to give rise to guilt. And so they can be overlooked and thus forgotten in the truest sense, unquote. You speak of our innocence. By forgiving myself of any mistake I make, I learn of my innocence and teach it to the world. You speak of the freedom I can experience in my opening up to my innocence and to that of anyone and everyone. Fear can only dissipate when I realize that your brothers and sisters are either asking for love or extending it. When the parent attack is made, it is out of fear and a desperate attempt to protect oneself. The words that have now become well-known and for many the infamous words are, I will build a great wall and nobody builds walls greater than me. Believe me are the words born of fear, a call for protection. When I feel the need to protect, it is because I am terrified. I believe I need to build a wall. I believe my magic thoughts. I believe I am vulnerable. I believe I made myself and therefore am alone. I believe I made a great wall between myself and God. In chapter 2, you address the belief in separation that fosters magical thinking. I understand that you tell us that we need to acknowledge when we are in fear. And when we are in fear, we are not in a state of love. The only way that this can be healed is to ask to see ourselves as love, to see our brothers and sisters as love. Again, it boils down to forgiveness and the willingness to be healed of our belief that we can ever be separate. Again, in chapter 2 you say, quote, one of the chief ways in which man can correct his magic miracle confusion is to remember that he did not create himself. 
he is apt to forget this when he becomes egocentric and this place places him in a position where the belief in magic in some form is virtually inevitable. You tell us the correction is for the attack. You tell us the correction is for the lack of love is know first that this is fear. Fear arises from lack of love. The only remedy for lack of love is perfect love. Dear Brother Jesus, I will to move into your perfect love. I will to see any expression of fear as a need for love, no matter what form it takes, no matter what shows up in the world. The wall that that certain Republican presidential candidate wants to build is merely a reflection of the wall he perceives between himself and God and is a perfect lesson for me. Where am I believing in a wall that does not exist? I know you're healing me, healing me of that belief. I know you are right here with me as I go through my day today, helping me return to my belief in my innocence and that of my brothers and sisters. I need no magic. I have you. I have the Holy Spirit. I have my perfect innocence. The Father and I are one. Thank you for coming to the earth to help me know that all those many years ago and for whispering your words of truth into Alan's ear 50 years ago. At the close close of this 50th year of your words began to be told to her. I'm so very thankful that you've guided me to them. No magic needed. Only your amazing love. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Sharon. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Sharon. It's a beautiful birthday present. So we're going to be reading um, from the manual, uh, section 18, paragraphs 1 through 5, How Is Correction Made? And I believe I just need one more reader. So right now I have Lee, Sharon, Fran, Reverend Richa, Carl, I think I need one or two more. So one more, I'm sorry. Uh, This is Mary, I can read. Great, thanks Mary. Paul is listening, can't read today. Babysitting, Paul is listening. Glad you're here. Anyone else want to say hello? Uh, This is Fritz, I'll be listening. Hi Fritz. Glad you're here. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. All right, Lee, would you read title and paragraph one, please? 
One moment, you will. How is correction made? Correction of a lasting nature, and only this is true correction, cannot be made until the teacher of God has ceased to confuse interpretation with fact or illusion with truth. If he argues with his pupil about a magic thought, attacks it, tries to establish its error, or demonstrate its falsity, he is but witnessing to its reality. Depression is then inevitable, for he has proved, both to his pupil and himself, that it's their task to escape from what is real. And this can only be impossible. Reality is changeless. Magic thoughts are but illusions. Otherwise, salvation would be only the same age-old impossible dream in but another form. Yet the dream of salvation has new content. It is not the form alone in which the difference lies. Thank you, Lee. Sharon, uh, one and two, please. Correction of a lasting nature, and only this is true correction, cannot be made until the teacher of God has ceased to confuse interpretation with fact or illusion with truth. If he argues with his pupil about a magic thought, attacks it, tries to establish its error, or demonstrate its falsity, he is but witnessing to its reality. Depression is then inevitable, for he has, quote, proved both to his pupil and himself that it is their task to escape from what is real. And this can only be impossible. Reality is changeless. Magic thoughts are but illusions. Otherwise, salvation would be only the same age-old impossible dream in but another form. Yet, the dream of salvation has new content. It is not the form alone in which the difference lies. God's teacher's major lesson is to learn how to react to magic thoughts wholly without anger. Only in this way can they proclaim the truth about themselves. Through them, the Holy Spirit can now speak of the reality of the Son of God. Now he can remind the world of sinlessness, the one unchanged, unchangeable condition of all that God created. Now he can speak of the word of God to listening ears and bring Christ's vision to the eyes that see. Now is he free to teach all minds the truth of what they are so they will be gladly returned to him. And now is guilt forgiven, overlooked, and completely in his sight and in God's word. Thank you, Sharon. Fran, two and three, please. Two. God's teacher's major lesson is to learn how to react to magic thoughts wholly without anger. 
Only in this way can they proclaim the truth about themselves. Through them, the Holy Spirit can now speak of the reality of the Son of God. Now he can remind the world of sinlessness, the one unchanged, unchangeable condition of all that God created. Now he can speak the word of God to listening ears and bring Christ's vision to the eyes that see. Now is he free to teach all minds the truth of what they are, so they will gladly be returned to him. And now is guilt forgiven, overlooked completely in his sight and in God's word. Three, <clears throat> anger but screeches, quote, guilt is unreal, is real, unquote. Reality is blotted out as this insane belief is taken as replacement for God's work. The body's eyes now see, its ears alone are thought to hear. Its little space and tiny breaths become the measure of reality, and truth becomes diminutive and meaningless. Correction has one answer to all this and to the world that rests on this. Thank you, friend. Uh, Reverend Regia, three and four, please. Okay, three. Uh, anger but screeches, guilt is real. Reality is blotted out as this insane belief is taken as replacement for God's word. The body's eyes now, quote-unquote, see. Its ears alone are thought to hear. Its little space and tiny breath become the measure of reality. And truth becomes diminutive and meaningless. Correction has one answer to all this, and to the world that rests on this. You but mistake interpretation for the truth. And you are wrong. But a mistake is not a sin, nor has reality been taken from its throne by your mistakes. God reigns forever, and his laws alone prevail upon you and upon the world. His love remains the only thing there is. Fear is illusion, for you are like him. Thank you, Reverend Reger. Carl, four and five, please. You but mistake interpretation for the truth, and you are wrong. But a mistake is not a sin, nor has reality been taken from its throne by your mistakes. God reigns forever, and his laws alone prevail upon you and upon the world. His love remains the only thing there is. Fear is illusion, for you are like him. In order to heal, it thus becomes essential for the teacher of God to let his own mistakes be corrected. If he senses even the faintest hint of irritation in himself as he responds to anyone, let him instantly realize that he has made an interpretation that is not true. Then let him turn within to his eternal guide and let him judge what the response should be. So is he healed, and in his healing is his pupil healed with him. The sole responsibility of God's teacher is to accept the atonement for himself. Atonement means correction or the undoing of errors. When this has been accomplished, the teacher of God becomes a miracle worker by definition. His sins have been forgiven him, 
and he no longer condemns himself. How can he then condemn anyone? And who is there whom his forgiveness can fail to hear? Thank you, Carl. And Mary, five, please. All right, just a minute. In order to heal, it thus becomes essential for the teacher of God to let all his own mistakes be corrected. If he senses even the faintest hint of irritation in himself as he responds to anyone, let him instantly realize that he has made an interpretation that is not true. Then let him turn within to his eternal guide and let him judge what the response should be. So is he healed, and in his healing is his pupil healed with him. The sole responsibility of God's teacher is to accept the atonement for himself. Atonement means correction or the undoing of errors. When this has been accomplished, the teacher of God becomes a miracle worker by definition. His sins have been forgiven him, and he no longer condemns himself. How can he then condemn anyone? And who is there whom his forgiveness can fail to heal? Thank you, Mary. And Reverend Rita, how about a prayer to open the floor? Sure. Okay, we'll, we'll close our eyes for a few moments and, and we'll join one another in a prayer. What is our prayer today? How is correction made? We feel a need to get it right. There's a deep-seated need to be right. But perhaps it comes from knowing that there is a right way to be. And that is how we already are. (laughs) Sinless and whole and complete. But when we don't see that, we're still striving for that. We try to make illusions correct. We make illusions the truth. We make illusions the fact. And then we're angry and react when people don't agree. But now, today, we release all this. We have the courage to say, I don't know, and release this to one who does. When I correct, when I allow my right mind to correct all errors, then I have accepted the atonement for myself and for my brother. It's not for me, my limited self, to make correction, to make wrong, to make right. It's up to the Christ, the Son of God who I am, to be the truth, to live the truth, to shine the truth, 
I do that as I let go. So today, I'm just dedicated to letting go, letting be the truth. And in this, I am healed, and my brother is healed, and we are home in the arms of God. And so it is. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Beautiful. Thank you. I guess the uh, first couple of sentences in paragraph five say it all. In order to heal, it thus becomes essential for the teacher of God to let his own mistakes be corrected. If he senses even the faintest hint of irritation in himself as he responds to anyone, let him instantly realize that he has made an interpretation that is not true. Then let him turn within to his eternal guide and let him judge what the response should be. To me, that just uh, that says it all. That's, that's how correction is made, I'm complete. Thanks, Carl. Thank you, Carl. This is Sharon. In paragraph three, he says, anger but screeches, quote, guilt is real, unquote. Reality is blotted out as this insane belief is taken as replacement for God's word. The body's eyes now, quote, see its ears alone are thought to hear and unquote, and that that um, reminds me of when I am triggered by something. What I would like to have be a tiny little speck that floats away. It comes straight at my eye and and becomes so close to my eye that it blots everything out. It becomes larger than everything else. My guilt becomes the only reality. And sometimes my guilt is disguised as somebody else's, quote, guilt. But my guilt is not real either. So it's all, quote, guilt. And that's all I can see when I'm in hell. Reality is blotted out. Thank you. I'm complete. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you, Sharon. This is Leah. It seems to be such a continuation of yesterday's section that... um, it's almost as though this were separated as an afterthought because it just follows right up on what we were introduced to at the end of yesterday's reading. This whole question of um, how does the teacher of God deal with his pupil's magic thoughts? He clarifies for me in this first paragraph that 
I'm going to have a tendency anytime I come across the magic thoughts of another in any encounter, and I have to remember that that's what he means by a pupil. It's not someone that has walked up and asked for help, but it's everyone I encounter. Um, if I remember I'm always teaching, then I become their pupil, and I'll learn about what they make of themselves, and they become my pupil, and they'll learn from me what I make of myself by how I see them. So this introduction of the idea that when I encounter anyone and the nature of their thoughts stirs me to try to attack, demonstrate the falsity of what they feel or what they see, establish the error of their thinking, any of that kind of a direct movement to counter what it is I'm getting from this other in any encounter is um, what he's trying to lead me past, this temptation to misperceive is um, a temptation to, even if I'm trying to correct, it's a, it's a temptation to engage on the level of the mistake, and then we both drop into the mistake. That's what I think he's telling me in this first paragraph. When he says, if I react in this way, depression's inevitable because by dropping in and engaging him on the level of those same thoughts, I've proved to both of us that we're trying to uh, find our way free from a level that I've actually been tempted and have dropped into. In that sense, um, it's as though we're both trying to escape from what we've both agreed now is real. That all can seem like mishmash until I realize he's actually offering a way that I stay above the fray, not dropping in to counter or address, but simply asking as a result of that temptation to drop in and engage in a way that was counter to another person's perception. Answer that temptation by recognizing that little impulse of irritation, that little impulse of countering, and ask then that I be guided to the truth of myself so that I can reflect something different in this encounter than what I was initially tempted to. And I can rest as a result of asking Holy Spirit for correction, rest in what I've learned. Just be with where I am and reflect then for the other something entirely different than he may have come across before. And in resting with the option, then the guidance comes for how to respond in a way that's much more creative, much more um, harmonious than what I may have been directed to before. So I, <clears throat> I see these five paragraphs as a direct continuation of what we were led to yesterday, reminding me that often <clears throat> my mistaken temptation to engage with what I see as magic thoughts 
anything that I'm tempted to correct will first have the impulse of directing me toward anger. That's why he can tell me in paragraph two, God's teacher's major lesson is to learn how to react to magic thoughts in myself or others without anger. But most especially here, I'm sure he's directing me um, in regard to the magic thoughts I encounter of others. That would be where someone comes up and attacks me, where someone, um, it's just in whatever counter we typically associate as those that stir us to anger. This is a, um, a very direct little set of instructions for how to get out of that mess and not drop into difficulty. Um, even, even in the way that we may have in the past associated with trying to be most helpful. It's an entirely different order of response I'm invited to. Thanks, I'm complete. Thank you. That was great. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, Lee. This is Sharon real briefly. I'm glad you made that clear, that uh, explanation of magic thoughts, Lee. Um, Lucky and I were discussing this last night and um, and working on the definition of what a magic thought really is. Um, what I normally think of as a magic thought, magical thinking, is is when it comes to taking pills, the remedies for um, healing, and I was working on the the global, the more global perspective on what a magic thought is, which I came to see through my looking it up and researching it a bit as being, and I don't know if this is true or not, so somebody help me with this, please. Um, anything that seems to protect me, anything that that um, anyone seems to use to protect themselves against fear, any defense. Um, but I'd love to know what people's perspectives are on that. I want to know, I want to, I want to make sure that I understand what a magical thought really is. Thank you, I'm complete. Thanks, Sharon. This is Carl. I'll, I'll uh, share something like I shared yesterday about that, and this is, of course, the way <coughs> I'm, I'm seeing it, that that really any thought that's it's not inspired by the truth or come directly from my right mind is a magic thought. It's a thought that involves imagination. And when you when you think about when you stop and think about what you're thinking, or better said, when you stop and observe what you're thinking, what I'm thinking, I'll put it in, in I terms. Most of the time when I am thinking, I'm imagining something about the future that's, that, that I'm, I think is going to happen or I'm afraid might happen or I'm 
imagining something about the past. And if I can cease thinking that way, then what I do is I sit in the moment, in the now, and and when I stop thinking, when I stop the thinking process, I sit in awareness. For me, that doesn't last very long. <laughs> but uh, uh, anyway, I think it, it, it involves uh, any thought that doesn't come from truth or is inspired by truth. And, and then I also, th I'll just add that I also think that when we have, let's call them magic thoughts, uh, we're adding to the collective in, in a fearful way. And when we are thinking truth thoughts, we're adding to the collective in a loving way. And, um, uh, you know he's he's basically um, somewhere in here is is for me pointing that out to us, and then the other the other part of this is not to feel guilty for having a magic thought because we all have them actually they're gifts to ourself from ourself capital s self and then we drop down to number five the first couple of sentences there and use those magic thoughts in order to heal i'm complete yeah thank you thank carl. you carl that was uh, really clear really thank helpful carl. thank you very clear thank you carl it's lee again sharon do you think um because he uses the word interpretation at least a couple more times in these five paragraphs, do you think magic thoughts may have something to do with interpretation, confusing interpretation with fact? That first sentence is so strong, correction of a lasting nature, cannot be made until the teacher of God has ceased to confuse interpretation with fact. And then he restates those two in opposition as confusing illusion with the truth. If I can recognize on any level that my initial response, my initial temptation to response, um, may in fact be simply my interpretation and use what he um, offers as my cue when it is um, so he references interpretation three times, and that one that uh, that Carl mentioned seems to be the key, that faintest hint of irritation uh, from paragraph five will let me know that I've made an interpretation that's not true, that I'm confusing my interpretation with the truth, and that's my prompt to you know, as quickly as possible, turn away from that temptation and make that request of the Holy Spirit that I be delivered to something other than my interpretation in that moment. 
I'm reminded of um, today's lesson, truth answers every call we make to God, responding first with miracles and then returning unto us to be itself. The result of that impulse to ask for something in the moment to guide me other than my interpretation is the request for a miracle. And I'm told truth answers every call we make to God, responding first with miracles. That whole lesson, 357 for today, um, is a, uh, a development of that, of that instruction and a description of the outcome. I'm complete. Thanks. Thank you, V. Thank you, V. And doesn't that say, this is Rob, um, doesn't that say in the impetus to bring forth a thought, you compare what your mixed background is with uh, the course and your past learning, and might then you think, or might then I think, what, what am I going to say here that's going to make a difference, that's going to point out something that brings a more functional world to everyone involved? Um, Raj's message yesterday um, Jesus on the internet said, um, in, the, in the attempt at positive thinking, uh, one fails to recognize that thinking itself without integration with the Holy Spirit is the problem. And so I, I come to this with the idea that I need to go there first before I even open my mouth because I'm, I'm automatically the mix of my past life without the course and the course. So that's going to be a gray. That, that can't be a bright, uh, beautiful light. And so if I get the correction into me in the beginning, I won't m muddy the air of, of the discussion. That's the way it seems to me. I'm complete. Thank you, Rob. Thanks, thanks Rob. Thank you, Rob. Thank that's, you, Rob. That's the, uh, thanks. that's the trick, isn't it, Rob? <laughs> to uh, it's one thing to not speak before you uh, check in with your guide you know that's that's a phew, that's that's uh, a challenge but to not think before you check in with your guide. Um, 
that uh, boy would I love to be able to do that I th I'm not sure that that ever happens until uh, I'm not sure how that happens I guess I would have to be totally clear totally resting and being what I really am uh, in order for that to be because now that's you know I'm just talking I'm not I'm just talking about myself because um, to not have a thought from my my false belief system uh, would mean that I would have to undo everything which I am that's that's why I'm here but uh, wow wouldn't that be wonderful <laughs> I'm complete here's, here's thanks Carl again. thank you this is, Carl yeah thank you Carl and in response to that Carl um, my background for me is so unusual comparatively speaking because of the particular interests I have and the direction that I set out on um, that I can't use the kinds of things I've discovered for myself. I have to put them aside when I know that there is another level that is speaking to me. And so in putting mine aside and asking the Holy Spirit, I know that I've reached an, another level. But there's a level above that. And the level above that is one where someone who has been designated, like Helen and Bill too, um, bring something totally um, on target and totally new, and, and it can't even be recognized for what it is in the beginning. Um, a strange interpretation of it comes out and, and is called the Course. Um, so if I'm just in myself waiting to speak to the Holy Spirit and ask what am I to think and you know I read that I've gotten a, a message from uh, an, a, what I know is an advanced thinking place well then I'm in nirvana I don't have to even ask it's going beyond that now I can be told and listen to my next direction of attempted thought and so when I'm in this next direction of attempted thought now I'm back in the position of being able to ask what do I think about this in this new direction of thought because there's there's different levels of what what how we're being guided does any of this make any sense I'm complete Thanks, Rob. I think that, that uh, in order to be in the position of not asking, which is really, I think, 
what, what the position that one would be in is not having to ask what to think. Um, you would you would have lost your small s self, and and uh, which is for me the goal of of being here is to lose yourself small s self to find your true self um, your higher self which is who you really are so uh, which is what Jesus did and uh, at, at one point I don't think he had to ask I think he just related to the world from his true self but if you have to ask if I have to ask then I'm not there, and uh, which is okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, at least I recognize that I need to ask. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. That may not have made sense, but I'm complete. It made total sense. Thank Carl. you, Carl. Yeah. Recognizing the place, that upper place, that upper room that is talking to you without you asking is what is very, very difficult. It must have been horribly hard. It required persons adept at psychic investigation to get it to start moving in the world. Without Judas Scutch, this thing wouldn't have gone forward. And all the people associated with her. I'm complete. Thanks, Rob. Thank you, Rob. It's Lee. There's something very cool he describes between paragraph two and paragraph three. When he describes what it is to react to magic thoughts without anger and how that's the way in which I'm able to proclaim the truth about myself. So if I've touched in and I've been directed by the Holy Spirit to rest in what I've been told that I am, what I've been told is the truth about myself and everything. If I'm resting in that trust, then he says, um, when we do that, he says, through them, through these holy, um, uh, through these teachers of God who respond in that way, the Holy Spirit can now speak of the reality of the Son of God. Now he, now the Holy Spirit can remind the world through this teacher of God of sinlessness, the one unchanged, unchangeable condition of all that God created. And look what happens now to eyes and ears. Now he can speak the word of God to listening ears and bring Christ's vision to the eyes that see. Now, through this teacher of God, is he free to teach all minds the truth of what they are, the truth of what they are, so they will be gladly returned to him. In that movement, he says, now is guilt forgiven, overlooked completely in his sight, and in God's word. But he contrasts that with three. Anger, but screeches. Guilt is real. 
then tells me reality is blotted out in that movement. Thanks for that description, Sharon. As this insane belief is taken as replacement in that moment for God's word. The body's eyes now see. Its ears alone are thought to hear. Its little space and tiny breath become the measure of reality. And truth becomes diminutive and meaningless. What a stark contrast between allowing myself to be um, an instrument through which Holy Spirit is able to extend into the world through whatever I've rested in of all that he wants the world to know, all that God wants the world to know about the sinlessness of all that God created. And I have this option in this moment that I'm tempted to anger or to aggravation or irritation or even tempted to helping in the mistaken way. I have this option in regard to that temptation to in that moment rest with a simple impulse to ask for guidance. And increasingly as I get better at asking for guidance and as I opt out of that first temptation, I'm able in that movement to let Holy Spirit direct my eyes to see more nearly along the lines of Christ's vision and my ears to hear what reflects more nearly the Word of God. I'm complete. Thanks, Lee. Yeah, thank you, Lee. Thank you, Lee. Thank you, Lee. Uh, Mary, when you were uh, explaining to us, it flashed to my mind that that first step that you said, you know, where we stop and recognize and give it over, that's our willingness. That, that shows our, our willingness. And then we trust that the Holy Spirit will take us the rest of the way into truth. Thank you. I'm complete. Yes, thanks, Mary. Mary. Yeah, that was perfect. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks, Mary. Mary. This is Mary. Um, One sentence really hit me. I I suppose I should have seen it the other way a long time ago, but in, in paragraph five, that one sentence, it says, atonement means correction or the undoing of errors. I've wrestled with the word atonement a long time, saying at one minute. I don't know. The meaning just wasn't soaking in for me, but this gives me a different perspective to reach atonement. It just means correction. Really simple. I just need to accept correction of who I think I am to undo the errors of my mind. I don't know, I'm not explaining it well, but I just it just brought on a new perspective for me. Thank you. I'm complete. Thanks, Mary. Love that, Mary. Thanks. Thanks, Mary. 
you know, um, I say the same thing, uh, Mary. Uh, but I think that that as the correction happens in our minds, then we realize that we are at one. So that the atonement is the is the process of realization that we are at one by undoing what's not real. I'm complete. Oh, thanks, Carl. Perfect. Carl, I had the exact same thought. I love it. Great thoughts, huh? Thank you. (laughs) Thanks, Carl. That's kind of what I'm trying to say is that, you know, I've always said to myself, how do I accept atonement? You know, do I just say I accept atonement? And it happens. But this shows me how. Thank you. I'm complete. This is Carl. Go ahead. Go ahead, Sharon. I was just thanking her. Thanks. Um, Hi, guys. This is Fran. Um, I shared a little bit of this on the workbook call. This friend of mine uh, called me last night and asked me to do help her with an intervention with her son. Well, I have known him forever. He's 22. I've known him forever. And um, I really did not think that he was an alcoholic or needed an intervention. I was crazy or anything. But I was listening to her, and she was telling me about mental illness, um, which I sort of know because my husband is, and all of the cures for it, and how there was only, if you had this one particular thing, there was only uh, drugs were the only thing that was going to help you get over this. And because of the call yesterday, I immediately said to myself, magic thoughts. <laughs> and I was thinking about myself at his age. I was 22 when I had a upheaval and um, was saved with science and health and walked, started down my spiritual path. But I listened to her, and when I got that uh, magic thoughts, it was like I went on automatic listening. I had noticed this flicker of anger before she started to say, when she said that thing about the only cure, I felt myself like, no, that's something. And then as soon as I said that, I just went like on an automatic listening thing. And then I was saying to myself as she was talking, this person truly loves her son, and she honestly believes this is the only cure for this kid. Well, I'm thinking, oh, well, I can help with the course. But anyway, that's what I decided to do and decided not to uh, participate in the intervention. But if I hadn't gone on that call yesterday, I don't know if I would have been able to. I don't think I would have recognized the thoughts being magic thoughts or recognized my anger and been able to uh, control it and ask for help. Thanks to the course. As usual, I'm complete. Thank you, Fran. Thanks, Fran. That is so cool, Fran. Thank you. Thanks, Fran. Chris, I had wanted to share in the call because I know that feeling. Um, it's like my best friend when she calls and just, and this happened to me like a month ago, just like starts ripping to her ex, who's also my friend. And I didn't, I 
so kind of anger. And I just finally blurted out, I don't want to him that way. And not from a, from a place of myself, but a place of fear. And I just said, just tell me what to do to be your friend, because I don't want to hear about him that way. And she said to me, well, cool. She's like, just listen to me. And I guess that's that Reverend Regis thing. I just meet everybody where they are. So I'm grateful for your share because it helps me to remember that I can just try in the moment to step out of it. Please. Yeah, thanks, Chris. That's that's good. That's great, Chris. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. I just wonder how Jesus did it when you're in the moment and and everything's coming at you and your human experience is to protect yourself. I think, Carl, you talked about this once, that the human ego was made to sort of a fight or flight kind of thing to keep keep us alive, and then it just kind of went haywire. So, I mean, how, I guess it's, it's I guess I'll get more, um, chances to practice (laughs) to learn to step out of the chaos so that I can remember my atonement, right? I'm complete. Yeah. Just think of them coming at you with a cross to put you on. Um, In in looking, this is Rob, in looking at this thing from a long-term perspective, um, we are asked by Jesus to change. Jesus was asked by God to change. It was a new element, each point at which he appeared for a demonstration of what was possible at the time. It seems this is the way. This is the way I've been led to think about it. So we're, we're not quite in the same position. We're being asked by the Holy Spirit, Jesus being the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, to come to Him for the guidance, or to go directly to God, or your guide. There's a panel apparently available to us. To him, it was a selection by God, just seemingly the way these people that are now channeling the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, Jesus, because he went to them and intervened in their lives. They they were seeking, but the decision to empower them came from Jesus, just like the decision to empower Jesus came from God. It's different levels, as much as I can discern. I think that's correct. I don't know. I'm complaining. Thanks, Rob. Um, It's Chris. When I meditate and I'm not in chaos, I actually see orbs and energy of guides, and I'm pretty clear, pretty sure... One is my grandfather, one's an angel, and some other ascended kind of master kind of thing. Um, but my, my quest 
and I think I complain about this all the time, is that when I'm in it, exactly what, how Fran described, I can't see past my own nose, that I react, react, react. And then after the energy dissipates, and I guess that's okay, I forgive myself, um, but my, my atonement process, my awakening process is I want to be able to walk through this world and not see the chaos. I'm complete. Oh, here's that. Thanks, Chris. I want to, too, Chris. Good idea. Thank you. This is Robin. Wouldn't it be be correct to say the way I think about, I'm forced to think about this is, I see something going on, but I don't know what it is. No thought about it. I see someone having a bodily action taken against another bodily uh, being, but I don't know what to think about it. That way, I'm looking at the process with an open mind and only asking the Holy Spirit, what should I think about this? And if I enter weave my interpretations about it, there goes the thinking. And I really need to be in the world to react to what is happening to me as it comes to me and as I bring what I've learned. But that means I have to keep my eyes open. I have to be part of the world. But my judgment about it is just worthless. Worthless. When it comes up, you just say, ah, oh, Holy Spirit, relieve me of that thought. That that probably has nothing to do with what's going on. I don't know. I'm complete. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Rob. Uh, this is Reverend Rita Joy. I just... Uh, what came to mind, Chris, when you were um, sharing is something that came to mind the other day, and I didn't have an opportunity to share it. Uh, I think it's the same thing that keeps coming up. What happens to me when I get oh, totally hoodwinked by the ego uh, is that, of course, I'm insane. And when I realize that the next thing out of my mouth is going to be insanity, <laughs> I know this, it's a fa- and I know it's coming. What I do, what I've learned to do is, Close, close my mouth, but also tell the person I'm with that I, I, um, it's almost like I need a time out. And I think this is where counting to 10 came from. <laughs> uh, I tell them I, as lovingly as I can, I, I, need, I need some time. And I, it's happened to me with, with, when I was with someone and I, I knew that I was plugged in totally and it was going to be a horrendous fight. So I said, I just need some time. I went, I took myself away, and, I, and it only took a few moments. It didn't take like a lifetime. It took a few moments to regroup. And, to, and you know it's choosing again. It's, it's a, you know, I, I, I acknowledge I don't like the way I feel. I must have decided wrong. I, I'm, going to, you know, I'm going to decide with God. So when I make that decision, to see it with Christ's vision, it becomes clear what was being triggered and what, you know, what was truly going on 
and I see my brother is sinless, and I see myself as sinless, and I can come. And, and I walked back in, and it was awesome. There was just, there was healing. And so I think it takes a time out, however we manage to do it. <laughs> we don't have to acknowledge it sometimes, just to ourselves, that we need a time out. If we could just close our, if I could just close my mouth, you know, and uh, regroup. It might only take a few moments. I I offer that. Thank you. This is from my experience. <laughs> I'm complete. I love that. I love the way you say, I took myself out. Come on, Reverend's ego. <laughs> that <was good. laughs> That's a great, great idea. I give myself my own time out. You know, it's Chris. I was thinking, um, you know, we should, like, create kind of like fighter pilots do, right? You sit and you pretend you're in combat and like you sit around a room and just throw stuff at situations out and you just practice shifting, practice getting out, getting out, getting out so that when you get into the real world, you're ready to go. You know what I mean? I don't know. I'm complete. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Chris. Thank you, Reverend Regia. I like that, Chris. Thanks. You know, the Reverend Regia, that's really an interesting statement, putting myself in time out. You know, if you <laughs> think about what what you're saying there, self is the smallest self. Um, you're, what we're really trying to do is permanently, permanently take our, our smallest self out of time. <laughs> I'm complete. I agree. That's pretty clever, Carl. Thank you. That's so true. Thanks. Hey, it's Lee. I'm looking at the uh, I'm looking at the way these five paragraphs end, and how the last uh, three paragraphs are tied together. In answer to this question, how is correction made? If I remember my my temptation to engage what I what what um, what seems to me in any encounter to prompt me to misperceive, if I remember that the response he offers is um, to rest in, in an inquiry that recognizes, okay, my prompt was to engage. I've learned enough to know engaging on that level isn't going to be helpful. How is correction made here? Oh, yeah, the correction made is to recognize that my first temptation in response to this situation has been to um, close the aperture entirely on what I'm thinking is going on and make this person or this encounter or this situation extraordinarily um, engaging in a way that wants to draw me into my ego's response when that aperture closes I can then recognize my God there's a whole version of the world that rests on having that aperture close and I don't want that world at the end of three he says correction has one answer to all this everything becoming small and to the world that rests on that closing of the aperture and he comes back to this one reminder that I can remember that there is on the other side of what I'm thinking this moment 
there is the truth and my interpretation is standing between me and the truth and in regard to an encounter my interpretation is actually standing between me and the truth of what this brother is and I can remember I'm always offered the opportunity to either reflect for him the ego's version of his truth and mine or the Holy Spirit's version of his truth and mine so that fourth paragraph says you but mistake interpretation for the truth and you're wrong but a mistake is not a sin nor has reality been taken from its throne by your mistakes if if I can remember there is the reality of this moment and it's on the other side of my interpretation that's how he can lead into five and in reference to correction by calling it healing tell me in order to heal it thus becomes essential for the teacher of God to let his all his own mistakes be corrected and to realize that temptation came from having made an interpretation that's not true this is just so elegant in the way he describes deliverance from all that aggravates me and all that wounds me and all that you know disheartens me and all these different movements of mine away from to the justification of my negative emotions all of that is the result of interpretations that I've let squeeze their way between myself and the truth um, I dearly love that he walks us through the very process for how to really fully invite correction and how to recognize when it is that I really need correction thanks I'm complete thank you Lee. thank you Lee. Lee. Well, you holy ones. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. This is Wendy. I just wanted to throw in this last little note. Uh, somebody up in Athens shared this idea with me. No me, no problem. I'm complete. You got it. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Good morning, Wendy. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Thank you. Okay, no me's. This no me says it's time to end the call. All right, Reverend, no me. How about a no me prayer? <laughs> uh, okay. All right. Well, we'll we'll close our time together by joining one another in prayer and in reflection. So we close our eyes, and draw that awareness within, and just become quiet, relaxed. I'm realizing today. All of the problems of my life come when I interpose my own ideas of what is so onto reality, and then I react. I do the fact-checking myself instead of using my right mind, and thus illusions replace reality, and I become reactive. I learned today if there is even the slightest irritation, I have made my interpretation fact and thus confused illusion with truth. Even more egregious is when I think I see error in my brother that needs to be corrected 
by me in order for him to heal. <laughs> I make error real and then I try to correct it. Quote, if he argues with his pupil about a magic thought, attacks it, tries to establish its error or demonstrate its falsity, he is but witnessing to its reality. Unquote. When I am angry, I've misperceived and thus misinterpreted the truth and believed in what I think is so. I've given reality to illusion and made error real. I learned today that when my reaction to myself or my brother is anything but joy, I have judged against reality. Who can be healed when this is so? We read today, quote, correction of a lasting nature, and only this is true correction, cannot be made until the teacher of God has ceased to confuse interpretation with fact or illusion with truth, unquote. In these situations, I need but go within to one whose interpretation is the fact and to one who knows the truth. When I do, there is joy and healing for both myself and my brother. This indeed is how correction is made. And this is the atonement, the undoing of errors, which I must accept for myself. As I allow all errors to be released, I remember my sinlessness, and I am healed of the illusion my guilt has brought me. And my pupil is healed as well. He told us today, quote, so is he healed. And in his healing is his pupil healed with him, unquote. This is how correction is made. I haven't changed reality. How wonderful to remember in the twinkling of an eye that sin does not exist. I am still as God created me. Quote, his love remains the only thing there is. Fear is illusion. Reality is changeless. Magic thoughts are but illusions. Unquote. And so we pray. My Father, Mother, God, when will I truly know that you and you alone are my guide in everything? You are my prime relationship. Only through your voice given within me will I know the way home every step I take can be guided by you when will I release my little ideas of what is so and turn always to your light of love you are the voice for truth that whispers to me when I have ears to hear and this you say today to your teachers and of your teachers quote Through them, the Holy Spirit can now speak of the reality of the Son of God. Now he can remind the world of sinlessness, the one unchanged, unchangeable condition of all that God created. Now he can speak the word of God to listening ears and bring Christ's vision to the eyes that see. Now is he free to teach all minds the truth of what they are, so they will gladly be returned to him. Unquote. And so it is. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Reverend Rija. Thank you, Reverend Rija. Thank you, Reverend Rija. Thank you, everyone.